0: Every generation has its ideal of beauty. Uh, Back in the 40s, there was a song called Peggy the Pinup Girl, and it was a song about uh, uh, a girl that all the G.I.s thought was a a beautiful uh, girl. Uh, I suppose back in the 70s and early 80s, a lot of people looked at at Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, who was a six-time Mr. Olympian uh, because he had a, a symmetrical uh, muscular figure, much, much like mine. And people thought that that was, you know, perfectly symmetrical uh, physique that he had, as opposed to these guys who in high school pump up their chest, uh, but and then they have chicken legs. You know, there's nothing more embarrassing than having great pectoral muscles uh, and then having chicken legs. But he was perfectly symmetrical. And, and so we look at things that we say, This is the picture of beauty. This is the picture of perfection. And as Paul rides to the church at Thessalonica, he rides to a church that is a young church, a church that has been uh, planted in a difficult situation, and yet everyone is looking to them as an example of faith, an example of love, an example of outreach. And when we read the book of 1 Thessalonians, we find some things in it that are helpful, helpful to us as we think about what kind of church we want to be. So if you have your Bibles, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And let's read together the text of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, which is a short chapter, and then go back and think about who is this church that Paul's writing to. What is the model that they are setting for others, and how can we be a model like that among churches today? Notice what Paul says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and verse 1. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you, for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, But also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report to us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. And so Paul says quite a bit about the church at Thessalonica. And he begins to describe what kind of a church they are. So who is this church, this church at Thessalonica? We read about Paul's work in the church of Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. And in Acts chapter 17 we see that Paul does what he typically did whenever he came to a territory. He comes to Thessalonica, which is a city of Macedonia. And it says in chapter 17 and verse 1 of Acts that, that they had traveled through Pamphilius and Ap- uh, Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, "This Jesus, whom you proclaim, whom I'm proclaiming to you, is the Christ." And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous, taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set a, the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were speaking to them, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city's authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the whole world have come here also. And Jason welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king Jesus. And they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. and when they had received the pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. And so what we see here is a picture of Paul and Silas and his traveling companions preaching in Thessalonica. And they did what Paul always did, and he went to the Jews first. He went to the synagogue, which was a place of meeting, a place of business, a place of education uh, for the Jews. It was much more than what we think of when we think of a church building today. The Jews tended to congregate and do business amongst themselves, and so the synagogue was a place of the, uh, of the center of social life, business life, religious life. It was everything to the Jews, And did you notice that it said for three Sabbaths he preached there? And so we know that Paul was there for at least three weeks, but then after that, we don't know how long he was there. But it seems to be a short period of time. And and Paul had great success there. Many of them were becoming Christians. But notice the context. The Jewish leadership became jealous of Paul and his companions because of the success that they were having. They looked around at the Jewish community and they saw saw many, many of the the Jewish community there becoming Christians. And they were losing their status of authority among those who were becoming Christians. They were losing uh, their status in the Jewish community because so many of them were becoming Christians that they began persecuting. Some of them. They couldn't find Paul. They couldn't find Silas. And so they go to Jason's house and they drag Jason out and they begin beating him and persecuting him. And so when we think back to what Paul says there in his letter to them in 1 Thessalonians, he says, You received the word in great tribulation. The tribulation in in which they received the word was the persecution from the Jewish leadership. And Paul and Silas and and their traveling companions get run out of town because the Jews don't want them preaching Jesus anymore. And that was the tribulation. And we don't know exactly when Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians, but he writes back to them as a brand new baby church without any church leaders such as elders and deacons. And he's concerned about them. How are they going to grow? How are they going to thrive? And so as we dig into the letter that Paul sends to them, he makes reference to sending Timothy to them and being concerned for them because they baby Christians surrounded by a Jewish community with Jewish leadership who wants them gone. But Paul says, I write to you, and I don't have to be worried. And the reason I don't have to be worried is because of who you are. I don't have to be worried because the gospel has sprung forth from you. So that everyone knows of your faith. Not just in Macedonia, the province where you're at, but even in Achaia, the adjoining province and not only in Achaia but all the provinces around everyone has heard of you they've heard how you have turned from following idols to serving the true and living God they've heard of your faith they've heard of your love they've heard of your steadfast hope Look at this church of Thessalonica. He says, I'm able, as we come back to First Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm able to pray a prayer of thanksgiving about you to God, verses 2 and 3. Notice in verse 3, he says, Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. He says, I'm able to pray to God with thanksgiving for you. I went there and I taught and I worked and many of you became Christians. Many of those that I taught became Christians and I'm able to look back on my time there and give thanks to God because this is what people are talking about. Is that those Christians, that church that was planted And three weeks later, the missionary who's run out of town is still thriving. And not only is it thriving, but people are hearing about your labor and your faith and your hope. And he says, so I'm able to pray to God with thanksgiving for you. He says, I came to you and you received the word by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And conviction. I don't know what kind of miracles that Paul did when he was in Thessalonica, but you get the impression from what he's saying here that there is a demonstration of God's power as the apostle of God preaching to these Christians, and they were convicted by what they saw and what they heard of the gospel. And so these Christians have that conviction. And so consider the model that they present. Paul says that they became imitators of Him and of Jesus. Notice again verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So think about what he's saying. You became imitators of, first of all, me, Paul says. Well, how did they become imitators of Paul? Everywhere Paul goes, Paul's being persecuted. And just as Paul was persecuted, these Christians were being persecuted. It wasn't Paul that was beaten in front of the city authorities. It was Jason, one of their own members. And you get the impression that some of that must have continued after Paul left. And he says, and you became imitators of Jesus. Oh, the great pains and suffering and persecution that Jesus went through. The greatest example of dying on the cross because he preached the kingdom of God. And the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem did not accept Jesus. That's why Jesus was nailed to the cross. They refused to acknowledge Jesus as being the Messiah. The Jewish leadership in Thessalonica refused to acknowledge Jesus as being the Messiah. And there are people today in this world that refuse to accept Jesus as being the Messiah. There are Christians today, I suppose. Or some who would carry that label that are complacent and sometimes don't live as if Jesus is the Messiah. There are non-Christians today, obviously, who refuse to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. And so... Paul says, you became imitators of us. But he says, you know what? Not only did you become imitators of us, but now you are the imitated. Notice again verse 6 and 7. So that, verse 7, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. No longer were you the one that was imitating, but now you are the ones that are being imitated. And why is it that they are being imitated? They are being imitated, Paul says, in these two Roman provinces of Macedonia and Achaia because of what is happening there in Thessalonica. Verse 8, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. And when he uses this phrase, this phrase sounded forth, he uses a phrase that symbolizes or, or calls on the imagery of symbols being clanged together and reverberating. And you can almost see the sound waves echoing or making waves so that the sound is heard from far off. And Paul says, The word of God has sounded forth from you. These were Christians that were busy spreading the gospel. And then he says, Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, but in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. You're being persecuted, you live in a pagan society. There's great pressure on you to to comply and become complacent and and to live by the standards of of Greek pagan society. But that's not what you're doing. You're not letting the persecution drive you back into a, a, a setting where paganism is the norm. You're not letting that persecution drive you into a setting, those of you that are Jewish, back into Judaism. But your faith in God is strong. And people see that. And people are hearing about this newly planted church that is thriving and doing what God's will is for them to do. This church quickly became well known for its faith. So that Paul says, I don't even have to talk with people about the church I planted in Thessalonica because people already know about that church. Verse nine: For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned from idols to serving a living and true God. Think back to Acts chapter seventeen. He taught in the synagogues, the Jewish community, but there are also many Gentiles there in Thessalonica who evidently heard the gospel. And Paul says, "Those of you that were Gentiles turned from from those idols." To serve the true and living God. That's why the Jewish leadership was so upset. They were making inroads into this great pagan city of Thessalonica. Both Jews and Gentiles were following Jesus. And everyone had heard about the change that it made in the lives of those folks. When we boil this passage down, this church. Was known to others for being a church that first of all spread the gospel. The word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. They were committed to the word and they were committed to the love of the word in tribulation and persecution, and their lives were changed. And everybody knew about that transformation. Notice again the statement of transformation. You turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. How can we be a model as a church in Benbrook? Do you want others talking about Benbrook in such positive terms as were said of the church in Thessalonica? That that people know us by our faith. That people know us by our love. Listen again to what Paul says of his prayer for these Christians in verse 3 constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope what do you want people to say about the church at Binbrook? do you want people uh, simply to say there's a there's a church in binbrook and it's just like every other church or, or do you want people to say, no, this is a church that truly has love, that labors because it's compelled out of love? Love for God? Love for the lost? Love for other Christians? Love for one another? Do you want people to look at the church at Bimbrook and say, there's a church that is steadfast in its hope? It's not backing down in its hope of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, in the hope that Jesus is returning, in the hope that there's a resurrection. Do you want people to say of the church in Brimbrook, there is a church that is working to proclaim the gospel of Jesus? Do you want this church to be known as a church whose faith is alive and leading us to talk about the Word and to talk about the resurrection and to talk about changed lives? The key to the Thessalonian church was their love and commitment to the Word. Their love and commitment caused the Word to be real in their lives. Their love and commitment caused the hope of the resurrection to be real. And their love and commitment caused them to talk about the word of the Lord. In other words, it was something that was real. Other people in Thessalonica, the Jewish, the Jews, the Jewish leadership, the Gentile pagans looked at this church that was there in Thessalonica and they said, these people have truly changed. Uh, The Gentiles in this church, they have have been transformed so that they are no longer worshiping idols. The Jews in this church have left behind their Jewish community and they are clinging to Jesus. And they could see that their lives were changed. And sometimes it's hard for us in, in our culture sometimes to let our lives be changed by the gospel. And to truly let Christianity and to let God's word and God's love change how we behave, change how we talk, change how we care for other people. And yet, if we do those things and people see that, they'll know you know what? This guy doesn't just talk about being a Christian, this guy doesn't just claim to be a Christian. This person truly tries to live that life. And when people see that, and they see that it's real. It prompts them to want to know what we're doing differently. To be a model, we must have the same love and commitment to the Word and to God that the church at Thessalonica had. The Word has to be real for us. There's one thing that the world hates, and it's phony Christians. Now, that doesn't mean that as Christians, sometimes we don't make a mistake. And sometimes that's when we get nailed for being phony Christians or being a hypocrite. You mess up one time, somebody sees it, and they say, well, you claim to be a Christian, but here you go, you're you're not different than anybody else. And that's tough. But there are people that claim to be Christians and there's never a change in their life. We need to strive to be Christians that truly seek to follow God in every aspect of our lives. And sometimes we mess up and we need to admit and own up to that mistake, and we need to seek God's forgiveness when that happens. But we need to diligently let Christianity change the way we look at the world and look at the things that we do and say so that people see that we are different, that we are striving to follow God. The hope of the resurrection has to be real. We live knowing that Christ has saved us from the wrath. And what that means for us is that if we know that that wrath is coming, if we know that there's a day coming in which Jesus is going to return and He's going to sit in judgment and that there are people that are lost, the way that transforms us, the way that that propels us is that we have a sense of urgency about us when we talk to others about Christ and the gospel. Not in a judgmental sense of saying, oh, you're going to hell, but realizing as long as people have sin in their lives yeah, that's the destination. And if we truly love people, we don't want that for them. We want them to come out of that. And it's so easy for us to think of eternity in the abstract, because it's far off to us. The idea of Jesus coming back is far off to us. And because of that, it's hard To really work on our minds and our hearts to say there are people that are lost and if Jesus comes back tomorrow, these people are going to be lost. Do I really love them? Is the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead and the judgment real in my thinking? If it is, then I need to let that propel me to share Jesus with others. And not let my fear of rejection or or my fear of losing a friend or my fear of someone saying you're a nut bar prevent me from sharing the gospel with them. As Jay was mentioning in his class this morning, as we're talking in in class, you know, sometimes we have that fear and we don't want to share the gospel with Jesus or, or share the gospel of Jesus with other people. We need to get beyond that and be willing to share the gospel. We are in a great place and we're excited to be here. To be in a place in Binbrook where we have an opportunity to impact a community of 100,000 people. You think about Binbrook and the surrounding area with the gospel. I can't remember off the top of my head how many people live inside the territory of Benbrook. But to work in this community with the gospel and share that with people so that they can come to know and to love Christ and to have their lives changed. We are excited to be here. The thing that excites me is that this family seems to be one which loves and is committed to the Word and is committed to God and seeking the lost. Paul was able to pray with thanksgiving for a fledgling church. A church that was planted and then suddenly was left alone. Because they, instead of withering, blossomed into a beautiful church that everyone was talking about. And they spread the word. Because they were committed to the love of that word and the love of God. Perhaps the key to this church was their love and commitment to the Word. And Benbrook, in the same way, can be a model in our community as we have that same love and commitment to God and to His Word. Christianity must be real in our lives as a guide that works. We must live as those who truly believe in the resurrection and the coming of Jesus. And we need to let that Word of the Lord sound forth from us. If you're here this morning and you need the prayers of the church, you need encouragement, whatever you need, once you come? Let's together we stand and sing.